FM. The following program is in English. Thank you. You're tuned in to the Lachaim Summer Series with your host, Morris Klein, and yes, he is still my baby brother. Shalom Aleichem, Shalom Aleichem, Shalom Shalom. Welcome to the third installment of the Lachaim Two Life, Jewish Life and More Summer Series which is going to be about our community, people and organizations. Before we kick off tonight's L'Chaim Summer Series Part 3 with our five guests, I would be remiss if I didn't mention Ora Herzog, mother of Israel's President Isaac Herzog and wife of the sixth President of Israel, Chaim Herzog. Ora Herzog passed away on Monday, aged 97. Ora rose from Egypt, served as an officer in the War of Independence and dedicated her life to the public and social activities for the sake of the citizens of Israel. She established the Council for Beautiful Israel, the first environmental organization in Israel, initiated the World Bible Quiz, and established the Yad Chaim Herzog Association to commemorate the work and legacy of her husband, the sixth president of the state of Israel, Chaim Herzog. Ora was a dedicated wife and a wonderful mother to her four children. Our thoughts are with the family in Israel. Ora Herzog, Baruch Dayan HaEmet, may her memory be a blessing. I have a very fond memory of the sixth president of Israel, Chaim Herzog, an Irish yid born in Belfast. And I remember the late Mr. Davidson, father of the Davidson twins, David and Morris, who grew up with my late brother. I remember Mr. Davidson telling me he went to Cheder with Chaim Herzog. As president of the state of Israel, President Herzog came to Australia in November 1986. President Herzog dedicated a Sefer Torah at Turek Shul. There wasn't a spare seat in the shul. I was there with a mate, JL, and I can tell you what a beautiful event it was and how proud I was of Israel and its president, Chaim Herzog. After the dedication, I went up to one of the Israeli pilots in the entrance of the shul and asked him if he knew Moshe Shaked, also a pilot in the IAF, Israel Air Force. He said, Ken, with my response in Hebrew, who ben dodgeli, he's my cousin. The official party was staying at the old Southern Cross Hotel. I caught up with them and asked the pilots to take back some photos to Moshe, which they graciously did, as one of the other pilots is Moshe's next-door neighbour and good mate, who just happened to be Alan Friedman's cousin. Alan Friedman is the Vice President of the AJA, Australian Jewish Association, which is the great new voice of the Australian Jewish community doing great work. So it's a small world, a small Jewish world anyway, and that is my very fond memory of President Chaim Herzog, and I am still very, very proud of Israel. Okay, that's enough with memory lane, and on with the show, Moshe. The Lachaim Summer Series. It's our community here on 92.3 FM, 3 triple Z. But first, let's hear the news from Jerusalem, courtesy of Israel News Talk Radio. I'm Ernie Singer, and this is your daily newscast from Israel News Talk Radio. An Israel Defense Forces officer was moderately wounded on Tuesday evening in a car-ramming attack near the Sumerian Jewish community of Chalamisha in Suf. The terrorist and a passenger were detained.
The Supreme Court heard arguments on Tuesday over whether the IDF can demolish the house of the Hamas terrorist who murdered Eliyahu Ke and wounded four others last November in Jerusalem's old city before he was eliminated by police. A ruling could take weeks or months. Political sources have told Israel National News that Commander Yehuda Fuchs of the IDF Central Command has been pushing the political echelon for permission to demolish the Chomish Yeshiva for months, claiming that security forces cannot secure the residents and students. Supporters of the Samaria School claim that uprooting the Yeshiva in light of last month's murder of one of its students would constitute a reward for terrorism. The IDF has canceled all reserves exercises through the end of the month with coronavirus cases in the military skyrocketing in recent days, as in the general population. That's expected to continue in the coming weeks, while the health ministry has decided to reduce the isolation period for civilian patients from 10 days to 7 if they are asymptomatic for the last three because of the short life of the Omicron variant. The IDF is limiting leave time for combat soldiers over the next two weeks in order to ensure that it has sufficient troops at its disposal. With a minister saying Omicron could bring Israel its herd immunity, Prime Minister Naftali Bennett called for cool heads Tuesday evening as Israel faces the variant's peak. Bennett told a Jerusalem news conference that Israel wants to keep the economy going while protecting the old and the young for whom he stressed vaccination, masks, and isolation for the unvaccinated. He said there will be aid for individuals who have to go into isolation and for businesses that need it. The Post reports students and political activists have demanded the replacement of the administration of the Palestinian Authority's Bir Zayt University for its failure to guarantee the safety of its students. A protest on Tuesday came after the IDF arrested five of the school students affiliated with Hamas and other opposition factions on Monday. Protesters noted that no members of PA Chairman Mahmoud Abbas's Fatah faction were arrested against the backdrop of a general crackdown on Hamas, Islamic Jihad, and the Popular Front terror group. Some accused the university administration and the PA of collaboration with Israel and promoting normalization with Israel. The PA summoned Holland's envoy on Monday to object to last week's decision by the Netherlands to halt funding to the PA's Union of Agricultural Work Committees, one of six groups that Israel outlawed in October, over ties to the Popular Front. Two Dutch ministers wrote to the Dutch parliament that 34 employees of the union were shown to be active in the PFLP from 2007 to 2020, and two former employees were arrested in connection with a fatal bombing in 2019, but a PA statement called the decision unjust and biased. Citing Hebrew media, the Post reports dozens of Bedouin citizens from the Negev continued to demonstrate on Tuesday morning against Jewish National Fund tree planting at a disputed site that they claim is private property. The protests broke out on Monday when a number of Knesset members from Ra'am and the joint list of other predominantly Arab parties boycotted the plenum session to participate. The boycott is continuing Wednesday. The Jewish Press reports Chairwoman Ida Tuma Sleeman of the Knesset Committee on the Status of Women and Gender Equality from the Joint List canceled a Monday hearing on the problem of polygamy in the Bedouin sector on a technicality claiming at this very moment land is being stolen in the Negev. Arut Shever reports the military wing of Hamas claimed on Monday that its naval unit captured what it called an Israeli military dolphin that was equipped to attack its terrorists. A video released by the Al-Qassam Brigades showed a device bearing weapons that it said had been installed on the back of the captured dolphin. The Defense Ministry said on Tuesday that Defense Minister Benny Gantz has approved the reinforcement of some 30 preschools in the Gaza border area. The approval was based on mapping which discovered safety deficiencies in the preschool structures. This has been Ernie Singer at Israel News Talk Radio. The news from Israel is courtesy of INTR, Israel News Talk Radio. Listen online to more Straight Talk from Israel at IsraelNewsTalkRadio.com. Dr. Andre Obler. 
is the founder and CEO of the Online Hate Prevention Institute, which tackles the rise of online hate and extremism in all its forms. He is also a senior advisor to the American Jewish Congress and is a member of the Australian government's delegation to the International Holocaust Remembrance Alliance, the IHRA, through which he represents Australia internationally and engages with both international experts and diplomats. It is this role that will be the focus of our discussion. And Andre is kindly joining us from Austria. So welcome to Lechaim, Andre. Thank you for having me. Andre, you're a member of the Swedish government's expert group for the recent Malmo International Forum on Holocaust Remembrance and Combating Antisemitism and attended that forum as a member of the Australian delegation. Could you summarise what the aims of the forum were and to what extent they were realised? So the forum was originally planned to run a year ago, and it was uh, celebrating, if you like, efforts that were made 20 years ago to bring countries together to tackle anti-Semitism. This particular forum was different to many of the forums I've been to before because it was really aimed at high-level government representation. So, for example, I was in a working group at one point, a breakout room, where I'm pretty sure that the number of prime ministers that were in that room actually outnumbered the number of non-prime ministers that were in the room. Mm. And the prime ministers were actually not only speaking, but, you know, they were there throughout listening, engaging. They were part of the audience. Normally, if you have a, a politician of that caliber, they duck in, make a speech and leave. These ones were actually, you know, the participants. You know, I, I heard not only the planned sessions, but also the private conversations that were going on between political leaders, senior leadership from many of the social media companies were there too. You know, there was a, a lot of discussion on what we need to do differently and where people aren't happy with where things are at at the moment. You know, the responses that tech companies have been giving for years were just not being accepted anymore by the political leadership. And there were a number of political leaders there who, who really knew their stuff. I mean, they came across as very strong experts in their own right, rather than just, you know, political figureheads who had been briefed. Right. Australia's commitment to adopt the working definition of anti-Semitism was quite a breakthrough. From your perspective, what's the significance of that commitment? The first part of it really is that as a member of IRA, most of the countries, in fact, almost all the countries have adopted the definition. Australia had a little bit of, of slack, if you like, because uh, we've been involved for quite a few years now, but we only became a full member in 2019. So to become a member of IRA, you go through a process of uh, being an observer for a few years and then becoming a liaison country for a few okay. years where uh, another country sort of um, helps you uh, analyse what your country is doing and helps you work out how you can improve. Every country can improve in different ways. So the United Kingdom was our mentor through this process. And uh, Lord Pickles, who was at Melmo as well, has sort of led that delegation and led the efforts to help Australia along. We really needed to adopt the definition to come into line with the other members of IRA, but it also means that the data we gather and the approach we take to dealing with incidents will be the same and based on the same definition as other countries, as other organisations. And that's quite significant because it means we can learn from things that are happening elsewhere in, in terms of how we respond. And we can also more effectively take part in global discussions and global engagements on problems that are happening around the world. What sort of level of debate was there about reaching a working definition? In Melmo, uh, it, it wasn't a topic in Melmo at all. 
most of the countries have already adopted the definition. You know, there was some discussion from countries about how they operationalize it. So there were some countries that were, you know, talking about, again, focusing on the social media side, focusing on collecting data and actually having auditability and starting to look at regulations. So that's a real shift in discussion. Previously, Germany was a a bit of an outlier in their approach, and I think that's becoming much more mainstream. Australia's taken a a regulatory approach in in other areas like counterterrorism. So I'm not sure how this is going to interact in the local setting in terms of holding tech companies accountable. You know, a, a lot of the discussion really was on emerging problems that need to be addressed, but also a lot of focus on new efforts governments are making. There were many millions of dollars promised by different countries to upgrading and creating new Holocaust museums, protecting sites from the Holocaust. You know, we we heard testimony from Holocaust survivors as well while we were there. There was a feeling that uh, governments are are doing a lot, but the the problem is becoming ever more serious. It's almost paradoxical, isn't it? More and more effort going into it, and yet, as you say, the problem is growing. Yeah, and look, a a part of that is just the the length of time since the Holocaust, that it's not part of the living memory of the bulk of the population these days. So people don't realise where it can go. And there's also an issue that social media has really accelerated the spread of hate narratives and COVID hasn't helped at all. So all those sorts of interactions were, you know, also very much part of the discussion. So what are some of the features of this definition? The IRA working definition of anti-Semitism, and it's one of, I think, four definitions IRA has now. The earliest one was really the working definition of Holocaust denial and distortion, which goes very much to the core of IRA's work. But the definition of anti-Semitism is based on what was the EUMC definition created by a group of experts quite some years ago now. And, you know, when it was turned into the IRA definition, there actually was a, a fair bit of debate and reshaping. And if you compare the two side by side, they're, they're not identical. The examples are all still there. They're all still the same. But the wording of the definition makes it much, much clearer than it was that you need to consider every incident in its own terms. The caveat put in there saying criticism of Israel is not anti-Semitic, that was down the bottom of the EUMC definition. It's now right up the top in the IRA definition. So it's been made more prominent. And, you know, it's very clear from the way the IRA definition is used that it's not a stick to beat people, you know, to say you're an anti-Semite. It's a way of looking at an incident, framing your analysis and looking at something in its own circumstances based on the facts. And, you know, if I can speak from my own experience, when I was working for the Victorian Education Department, this was on the inquiry into anti-Semitism at Brighton Secondary, that inquiry used the definition. And it was very useful and very helpful, not only to frame things that were anti-Semitic, but also to examine things that were said to, you know, alleged to be anti-Semitism, which when we looked into them, we said weren't. There were definitely anti-Semitic incidents at the school, but not every single one of the allegations stacked up when it was actually looked at in light of the definition and in light of further analysis. There's also, you know, a lot in the definition, which is at a high level, where you do need to go and do further research and further work. But that's going to be true with any definition. It's true with laws when things go to court. You know, again, I think the definition gives us a really good starting point. It gives us much more consistency. It gives us a framework, but it needs, you know, it needs to be applied with skill. It does mean more people can get into dealing with these incidents and they'll know when they need to go get further help.
It's very important, extremely important. Stance being taken by the New Israel Fund Australia and the Australian Jewish Democratic Society, where they both argue that while they're strongly opposed to anti-Semitism, they claim that the definition is increasingly being used to conflate anti-Semitism and criticism of Israel. Is there any evidence that this is indeed the case? Look, I've got to say from what I've seen, there's certainly no evidence of this within Australia. Within the US, there's a very peculiar debate. This is where a lot of this information comes from, and it's very specific to America. The difference between America and other countries is that in America, hate speech, including anti-Semitism, is actually protected by law. It's protected as part of freedom of speech. So the challenge in the US is actually the fact that people have been using the definition to try and crack down on anti-Semitism. And people opposing it are saying, no, anti-Semitism is actually acceptable. We must allow this within our speech, particularly in universities. And that goes back to US uh, Civil Rights Act that has implications for universities for funding that has been applied to all sorts of other groups, but weren't really successfully applied in the case of anti-Semitism. And there was a big push under the last US administration to say this also needs to apply to anti-Semitism. And what it says is that universities could have their funding withdrawn, their federal government funding, if they create an environment where a group, you know, students can't participate and get an education because the environment is hostile to them. And there was an executive order passed by President Trump, which specifically referenced the IRA definition and said that universities should have regard to it, or rather the education department should have regard to it when deciding whether a university is breaching its obligations under the Civil Rights Act. So this is where this debate in the US has come from. And it's a very, it's a very strange sort of argument from the Australian perspective, because we already have laws that deal with hate speech. And in fact, anti-Semitic hate speech and particularly Holocaust denial, you know, has been tried in the courts decades ago. And we know that this is a breach of the law. And that's, you know, no one's disputing that. Whereas in the US, they very much do dispute it. But also, I've, I've got to say that from what I read of the NIF position and the AJDS position, I don't think they're actually on the same page at all, from what I can see. The NIF was arguing that there should be no definition. The last time I heard that argument being made was someone saying, my organisation's involved in countering anti-Semitism. We don't want a definition because we want to be able to define for ourselves whatever we say is anti-Semitism to be anti-Semitism, which is sort of the exact opposite of what NIF wants to argue. You know, definition means that there's a standard, there's consistency. Everyone knows what we're talking about. We're all on the same page. No definition just means that the people you say might abuse the definition have nothing constraining them. The NIF argument is, you know, it's not a very good argument from the start. The AJDS position, as I understood it, you know, they say they oppose anti-Semitism. They believe a definition can and should be used for gathering statistics, for assessing whether things are or aren't anti-Semitic, but they have no position on what definition should be used for it. Right. Um, but they're not, they're not opposed to a definition per se. Yeah. Now, the, the argument is once you accept that we need a definition and we want to have consistency and we want to be able to hold everyone making claims of anti-Semitism to the same parameters, to the same bar, once you decide that, then the IRA definition is really the only definition that has any weight behind it. You know, there's a number of other definitions floating about, but none of these have the sort of legal diplomatic sort of approach that IRA has coming from governments reaching agreement on it, even if it's non-legally binding, the fact that a group of governments come together and say, we all accept this, takes it to a a very different level 
you know, similar to UN uh, treaties and things like that. You know, there's a number of treaties which Australia hasn't implemented into local law. There's some we haven't signed, etc. They still have a role in how the world functions. The IRA definition is up there as something governments have agreed to, which puts it in a very different position to, you know, something a group of academics or a group of Jewish community activists or whatever come up with. Um, You know, it's got standing. And it's a definition that's been accepted by, you know, local councils across the UK, by sports clubs, by, you know, all sorts of non-Jewish groups, mm-hmm. as well as by governments, which gives it a lot more weight than something just coming from the community or from academia. Andre Oberle, expert member of the Australian government's delegation to the IHRA and CEO of the Online Hate Prevention Institute. Many thanks for joining us on the Chaim and for explaining the importance of the Australian government's adoption of the IHRA's working definition of anti-Semitism. Anyone wishing to support the vital work of the Online Hate Prevention Institute should log onto their website at ohpi.org.au and perhaps we could get together sometime in the near future to discuss the important work of the Institute. Thanks, Andre. Very much appreciated. Thank you, Barry. Joining us today are a couple of gentlemen with whom I've worked closely with in the past, and I thought it was time to introduce them to our Lachaimniks. They are the general manager and CEO of a couple of organisations that perform very, very important roles in our community, and for the most part, they are the quiet achievers. Leon Landau, general manager of Hatsola, first responders, and Justin Kagan, CEO of the CSG, the Community Security Group. Welcome to Lachaim. It's great to touch base with you again. Thanks, Morris. Hi. Hi, Mara. It's great to be back. Terrific. Leon, let's start with you. Hatsola is derived from the Hebrew word lehatzil, meaning to save. What's the Hatsola story? What's Hatsola all about? So Hatsola is a emergency response group. Um, we work very closely with Ambulance Victoria, uh, responding to any medical emergency. You dial 95275111, you get responders arriving at your place. And if you need an ambulance, we arrange the ambulance as well. Coming up nearly to 30 years in Melbourne, it was established in Melbourne 1994, uh, initially to build a bridge between an ageing uh, generation of Holocaust survivors. Just take us through that. That's correct. So originally, I guess, Holocaust survivors and immigrants from other countries, Jewish immigrants from other countries had difficulty or hesitation in, in calling for help, um, hesitation in calling for ambulance. So that solar really was designed as a bridge between those patients and Ambulance Victoria to, to enable them to be able to call for help when they needed it. Over the years, Atoll has developed into a complete emergency response group when it comes to medical emergencies. We were very close with Ambulance and that relationship is getting even closer where hopefully soon we're going to be piloting and um, responding to triple zero cardiac arrests with Ambulance as well. So we become part of the triple zero response for cardiac arrests. So quite exciting. My area is growing as well. So it used to be very much concentrated around Caulfield and St Kilda. Now we pretty much go out to as far as Carnegie, Brighton, Bentley, East Bentley, Malvern, Turak, Armadale, then down to the beach. So quite a broad area now as well. Yeah, the Chulin Belt. <laughs> the Chulin Belt, you know, spacing out into a real Kugel. What are the staff numbers there? So we have 30 emergency responder volunteers and we now have three staff at the office. There's me, general manager. We have John, who's our um, operations manager. He's incredible. So he's got 30 years as a micro paramedic. Uh, he was a manager at Triple Zero and he's a captain of the CFA. So, so he lives and breathes emergency response. And we have Gwyn who looks after our emergency communications and marketing. 
Amazing. And you've always got somebody on the phone as well. All your volunteers are trained. What are they trained in? Um, so we're trained by Ambulance Victoria as community emergency responders. But amongst that group, we have some ambulance paramedics that really careers are varied, very, very, from accountants, builders, um, right through to medical professionals. And they are very professional. I can attest to that because it wasn't that long ago I called Hatsola to assist with getting my mother to hospital and uh, you were around in no time uh, before uh, Ambulance Victoria came. Uh, unbelievable, unbelievable. Justin, CSG, Community Security Group, what's its raise on DETRA? Uh, so, Morris, the, you know, the CSG is here to, you know, our mandate is pretty easy. Uh, we're here to, you know, protect Jewish community from any, any threats that may arrive to it. So, you know, protecting Jewish life and Jewish way of life is really what, what we've set out to do. And we have, you know, various different ways that we do that. We work with lots of schools, um, all the synagogues in the area, lots of different Jewish organisations uh, in, in assisting them and helping them to be sure that they can protect themselves against you know, any any kind of eventuality or any threat that may be out there uh, against the Jewish community. How long has CSG been going for? Been going since the mid-90s. Uh, was set up by a few people in Melbourne. And then, you know, towards the, the late 90s and, and early 2000s became a lot more professional. Uh, and in the last 15 to 20 years, you know, there's been a big focus on, on fundraising for the group to make sure that it has the resources that it has and, you know, a professional team in the office that can, you know, facilitate the development of the group, the growth of the group, the training of the volunteers consulting to the community, crisis management in the community. So, you know, started in the 90s, but certainly over the last, you know, 20, 25 years has, has developed into a very professional organisation. And um, staff levels there, I know you're, you're very much reliant on volunteers, but I'm sure you've got a uh, team of uh, full-timers and professionals there. Take us through we, that. Yeah, we do, Morris. We've got, we've got 17 staff members uh, that work some part-time, some full-time. Uh, we've got about 120 volunteers at the moment in the group. They work in a range of different areas. And we've got another about 70 volunteers coming through this year. So in the middle of our recruitment program, which will finish in August, um, and we'll have about 70 new volunteers joining the group then. And what training do you take them through? All different types of training. We train them about awareness training, uh, you know, what to look out for, what is suspicious activity. Um, we do research and analysis. We do, you know, base. We have a, a control room where we are able to monitor CCTV footage. Uh, so various different skills uh, in, in just, you know, making sure that, we can pick up any suspicious behaviour and, and, you know, mitigate any of those threats. Take us through the facilities at, um, and events that you uh, normally attend. So we do a lot of work with the Jewish day schools in helping them with their parent safety groups. So in the mornings and the afternoons, their parents that do security at those, uh, at those schools. Uh, we have the synagogues on Friday nights and Saturday mornings uh, that, are, that are covered by our, our volunteers. And then any large events in the Jewish community, we may have a, a foreign dignitary visiting, we may have a Jewish festival happening at a park or a, you know, a different venue. Uh, we'll provide you know, support and security to any of those. Uh, working very closely with Victoria Police, so ensuring that Victoria Police are aware of any of these uh, events uh, and wherever necessary, uh, they'll also be present on site to just to add a, a, an extra layer of protection to any you know, large communal uh, activities where Victoria Police uh, is needed. Prior to COVID, I recall seeing many uh, CSG volunteers at uh, a number of the annual dinners at the major uh, hotels and things like that, uh, always uh, added security there. Gentlemen, last year, 2020, uh, horribilis with COVID-19. We've had a couple of lockdowns again this year. How have your organisations um, fared through these uh, tough times? Leon. 
I guess in the beginning of COVID, it was it really turned the way we responded upside down. The way we responded with regard to ensuring uh, responder safety and patient safety, securing PPE was extremely difficult and expensive. I guess over the year and a half, we've grown used to um, responding in a COVID environment. The procedures, our processes are smoothed out now. Thankfully, there's plenty of PPE around. So we really are always responding, assuming each patient could be a potential COVID carrier, someone infected by COVID, and we're pretty much just running now as per usual. The exceptional part for us was that our call volumes have, have actually increased. So our calls that we've been going to have increased about 10 or 11% is interesting in the fact that Ambulance Victoria's um, volumes have actually reduced. Not quite sure why. Uh, might be familiarity with the community. Call volumes have increased and also I guess that means that we'll be looking for new responders as well. So yeah. interesting. interesting year. Justin, CSG, have you fared during uh, COVID? Yeah, it was a pretty challenging time for us, Morris. We, you know, not being able to send protectors up to, to synagogues and to, to schools was hard for us, you know, keeping people busy. Um, we couldn't train in person, um, but I think we did really well. We trained online really early. We, we saw this happening very early with my crisis department. They picked up that this was going to be a major concern for the Jewish community in Victoria. So we adapted reasonably quickly, moving up training online. We knew well-being was going to be a major issue in mental health for our volunteers in the community. So we put a well-being plan in place for our volunteers immediately, which is still running today. We run mental health first aid training as well as other well-being programs. So that was very important for us. Uh, you know, with Leon at Hatsola uh, and the CST, we put together a task force for the Jewish community that assisted, you know, anyone in the community that needed guidance or advice or assistance. We were there to provide that level of support to them through our crisis department. So I think it, it was a very challenging year. Um, certainly, the, you know, it still is a challenge, but we've adapted well to that. And we've made the well-being of our volunteers probably our number one priority, just to make sure that them and their families were looked after, you know, during what has been and still is a very trying period. They're definitely excellent. Gentlemen, when last we spoke, it was to inform the community about a new app. Your two organisations work very, very closely uh, together and um, you came up with this concept, a new app, Jeep. Please, for our Lachaim listeners uh, not yet familiar with Jeep, please explain. Jeep is uh, the brainchild of Leon Landau, who uh, <laughs> and I came up with the idea to, to, to develop a Jewish emergency app. So what it is, it's, it's one place where you can go to, you can download the app on your phone, uh, you can open it up and call CSG with uh, one click of a button. You can call that solo with one click of a button. It has triple zero in there. So if you need to get out of Victoria Police, you can call them immediately from it. Uh, importantly, what it allows you to do is it, that, well, the, the app sends you your information and where you are to the person you're calling. So if you have a medical emergency and you use Jeep, when Leon and his team get the details, it will actually tell them where you are. So if, God forbid, something were to happen and you weren't able to finish the call, they would know where to respond to. In a similar vein, if it was a security incident, the CSG would have those details and be able to send a team down there, you know, to provide assistance. The app also allows us to push information out to the community. So if there's a missing person, as an example, we're able to send an alert out to all community members that have downloaded the app to wow. about this missing person as well as any medical or security emergencies, we can let the community know about that. Uh, it's been incredibly well received. I think we've got close to 5,000 people signed up now. So we're encouraging you know, as many members of the community to download that so that they can contact us and we can obviously push any information out to them as well. Jeep has absolutely saved lives. If someone collapses halfway through a call, we can find them. 
Um, if someone is, is in danger, if you have a teenager who's in danger and they dial using Jeep, we're able to listen what's going on in the background. We're also able to identify where they are. So Jeep has been an absolute lifesaver. Outstanding. And as uh, Justin just indicated, there's been uh, 5,000 uh, people uh, taking the advantage. How do people get the app? What have they got to do? So Google Store. Wherever you download your apps regularly on your on your mobile phone, you'll be able to just type in J-E-A-P and download it in one one easy step. There's no registrations needed. Anyone can download it. Um, so you can just jump on there and download the app. Terrific. Gentlemen, funding is very, very important for both your organisations. Hatala have got their annual emergency appeal. Justin, CSG have got uh, your appeals happening in a couple of months, so we'll have you back to talk about that. Leon, please, we've got a minute or two left. Your annual appeal. People want to support you. I've got a terrific little uh, booklet here with lots of uh, amazing prizes people can win with a $100 donation. $100 donation gets you an entry into the into the prize pool, but any donation is, is very much um, appreciated. When you're hearing this, you're going to have three hours left to join the campaign. We do really need the funds. This year's been a huge drain on, on funds. There's a lot we want to do. We want to recruit another 15 responders. Hugely expensive things that we want to do to better service the community in a broader area. So please jump on and support us. So I see the prize is uh, drawn on the 8th of July. Um, yeah, we finished 30 June, but that's okay. It adds to the excitement. It's awesome. Okay, okay. Now, phone numbers. Uh, Hatsola, 9527-5111. CSG, 1300-000-274. Yep, that's right. That's 274. And, and Morris, if they just download the app, then that, all those details are on there. So easiest thing to do is download Jeep. Or both of our numbers are on there. You don't have to worry. You don't have to think about them. You don't have to keep them in your phone. Just download Jeep and you can call us on there. I also very quickly just want to thank Leon personally. My family had a medical emergency the other night. It was a Shabbos. I was working a shift and my wife called and Leon went personally. He was there within five minutes. And they do the most unbelievable job for our community. So for me, I just want to say thank you. And everybody needs to get behind them and support them. As does CSG. Gentlemen, um, I want to thank you for joining us again. It really is appreciated. Yasha Koyach to both of you, Leon Landau, uh, General Manager of Hatsola, and Justin Kagan, CEO of CSG. We'll have you back again soon. Thanks, Morris. Thanks, Morris. All the best. Take care. You're tuned in to the Lachaim Summer Series on 92.3 FM Triple ZZZ. Three Triple Z, that's the one. With your host, Morris Klein, and yes, he is still my baby brother. Sharon Lowe is an entrepreneur who founded Habitat Heroes, an online edu game platform that educates and empowers children about social and environmental issues. She is also the writer and publisher of the book Caring About Animals Around the World, has worked with Fortune 500 companies, and has built partnerships and relationships with numerous international environmental groups, organizations, and charities. Sharon is currently on the board of CARE, the leading frontline Jewish community organization, supporting those who are experiencing food insecurity and social isolation. She is the founder of the Social Blueprint, which will be the focus of our chat. Sharon, a warm welcome to Lachaim. Thank you so much for having me. Sharon, I understand that your involvement with CCARE led you to establish the Social Blueprint online platform. I think it would be of interest and value if you briefly told our audience about the work of CCARE and how it has changed as a result of the COVID pandemic. 
Well, Seacare tends for those that are elderly and vulnerable in our community in the form of food support. With COVID last year, the recipient base over doubled. That was within the first couple of months of COVID. And we saw the ramifications pretty quickly. A lot of the new recipients were asking for other aid support in the community and if we could direct them in the right place. Our staff was overwhelmed with inbound phone calls and we're trying to respond to everybody and get them the resources that they needed and direct them in the right spot effectively. And with that, we couldn't find anything in the community that was a one place where everything was that was easily searchable and that the volunteers or the end users of the recipient were able to search and find the resources that they needed without having to speak to umpteen organisations. So I started mapping out with Shlomo and Rifki Nathanson, a cheat sheet for internal use of um, all the different organisations in the community so the staff and um, volunteers could use. And while I was doing so, I spoke to a whole lot of different organisations in the community to understand what they were doing and um, who we should be directing to them. And they had all asked me whether we could share our information because they needed it as well. Mm. Um, Everybody seemed to be getting inundated by needing support. And so I realised that it was something that I could easily put together myself as an online resource And I included about 20 different organisations to put together the categories and subcategories and filters on the website that's now the social blueprint. And it really is a community effort and a collaboration amongst multiple organisations and individuals to come up with what the social blueprint looks like now. Whereas it started as just an aid resources out of a need, an internal need from Seacare, has developed into a one-stop shop for the entire community full of um, aid, health resources, as well as businesses and um, events and social activities and anything got to do with Jewish life. Mm. Before we go into more detail on the social blueprint, do you feel that there's a significantly sized hidden sector of the Jewish community whose difficulties have been exacerbated because of COVID? And how significant do you feel that community is who are seeking Absolutely. help? Yeah, massive. I mean, even this year, again, with Seacare, I can tell you based my experience yes. with Seacare alone, and I'm sure other organisations are getting hit as well. We're at about a 1,000 people now. It's over quadrupled the numbers, the recipient base that it was last year before COVID. So it's just staggering. And I'm sure with all the lockdowns and loss of jobs and homeschooling, people are just really hurting. And then there's also the mental fatigue that comes into it as well. Yes, it's a very difficult situation for a lot of people. I was very impressed with the social blueprint uh, site on the internet. It's attractive, very well set out. I mean, it's superbly set out when you compare it with some of the other sites and it's easily interrogated, which is extremely important. You sort of mentioned uh, reaching out to people. So what did you just call, call canvas people, organisations and businesses? How difficult Absolutely. was that? Where I didn't have contacts or somebody didn't refer me to somebody else, I had just directly cold called um, different organisations and particularly in the AIDS sector and then also found out who their resources that they use are as well. You will find on the AIDS side that there are non-Jewish organisations in there as well. I feel like Lifeline and um, yeah. Butterfly Foundation, um, apparently eating disorders are on the rise as well with COVID too. 
So there's a lot of organisations external to the community that also support the community as well that people should be aware of. Being such a tight-knit community, some people like to go within and others like to go externally. Mm. And are you monitoring the number of hits that you're getting to the site itself and to individual uh, sites within the platform? Yeah, to the different sectors of the site we can monitor and see. And how are you doing? What do those figures look like? We've got over a 1,000 listings on the site and various things from the events sector of the sites really coming into shape and most of the organisations or all of them that we've been in contact with and we welcome anybody and everybody onto the site to add their information. They're all adding their events on, which is fantastic because at least now it's all at the one spot. And so if you want to know what's on Sunday night, mm-hmm. you're looking for something to do, hop onto the social blueprint, go to the events section, and you can pick from a multitude of different activities that they're all online at the moment. Right. So, Have you got an idea of the numbers? I mean, is it hundreds or thousands? Yeah, or- hundreds of people have apparently been visiting the site, thousands. It's obviously worthwhile setting up if people are using it to that extent. I mean, it's very encouraging. How is this all funded? Privately funded at the moment. Privately. So it's through donation or...? Welcome to donate. But at the moment, Andrew Blody and the Smogham Foundation have been funding it. We hope for it to actually be self-sustaining, but that'll be like in a year's time. Mm. We'll head in that direction. At the moment, we basically want everybody up and using it. At the moment, we're not in need of the funding. Mm-hmm. Perhaps you shouldn't have said that. Uh, donations and other financial support never hurts. I know. Can, can you just, <laughs> you know what, I've just rambled way too long for that whole section. Sharon, I searched the site for quite a few organisations, including our Lachane program on 3ZZZ and was both pleased and relieved to find all accessible within the platform. So I think it says a lot already for the breadth of um, the community that you've already um, got to join the platform. You mentioned briefly the calendar. I'm associated with a few organisations, and over the years there's really been a call to have a centralised community calendar, but no one seems to have done anything really positive about it. And the blueprint calendar appears to have a comprehensive listing set out in a very user-friendly format. Do you have any feeling for how many other community organisations could be added to that site? I'm sure that there are plenty that are missing and it's not by not wanting them to be on. We've reached out to as many that we're aware of and certainly welcome others to come join on, register on the site, and they're more than welcome to add their events on the calendar. Mm. Yeah, I looked through briefly and I thought it was terrific and it's just fantastic to have that resource. It's wonderful. No, I was just going to say there's even got links to your um, previous um, recordings as well people can click into. Yes. They they want to catch up. That'll be overwhelmed when people hear that. Uh, I see there is a Facebook presence through What's on Jewish Community Melbourne by the Social Blueprint and that you have more than 2,200 members which is uh, quite laudable. You're also on Instagram and recently joined the Twitterverse. Lachayan has an indirect link with your Facebook presence through my co-presenter and host of this program, Morris Klein. He previously presented J.E.'s Shabbat Shalom program and worked very closely with Ranit Hazan on what's on in the Jewish community before its present incarnation under the social blueprint banner. So, uh, we're sort of joined 
um, in some sort of manner with that and very proud of it. I was just going to say, and that's breaking news because that only just happened yesterday. And oh, did we're it? really excited about that merger. Yeah. Okay, well, Morris put me onto that, and um, yeah. he's obviously got his finger on the pulse. That's terrific. Absolutely. Okay, <laughs> breaking news. Sharon Lowe, founder of the Social Blueprint, thank you for joining us on the Chaim and for providing the Jewish community with this most valuable resource. I would urge listeners to support the Social Blueprint by adding their business or organisation to the platform. Thanks again, Sharon. Very much appreciated. Thank you so much for having me on. Great work. Community websites such as the Social Blueprint keep our community informed. But it is not alone in providing a community service. Melbourne writer Sophie Weiner's opinion piece acknowledges that against this bleak COVID-19 backdrop, Melbourne's community stations, including Free Triple Z, have provided a lifeline to the world outside my house. She goes on to add, That's the beauty of radio. Even if you are alone, you know someone else is out there listening. If you're driving along Glen Huntley Road, 1226 Glen Huntley Road, Glen Huntley, and 484 Glen Huntley Road, Elstonwick, there are two posh op shops selling a variety of high-quality pre-loved merchandise with all the net proceeds going towards the Jewish Children's Aid Society. Joining us tonight on Lachaim is the tireless energy force behind the posh op shops, Rosalie Silverstein. Rosalie, welcome to Lachaim, to life, Jewish life and more. Thank you. Rosalie, you and I have spoken many times on the radio about the posh op shops. We have a new Lachaim audience. What is the Jewish Children's Aid Society all about? And what are the posh op shops all about? Posh op shops have been going for 25 years now and they pay for 280 special needs children to have special care integration in every Jewish day school in Melbourne. So we at the moment are paying for 110 integration aides to share their time between 280 special children in every Jewish day school. It's a pretty good cause. Amazing. And comes under the umbrella of the Jewish Children's Aid Society, which I believe is the oldest Jewish charity in Australia. It used to be the Orphans and Children's Aid Society, which was the Francis Bartman Homes were set up and they used to pay for children who'd families that had come from Europe or orphan children. And that's what Francis Bartman did. And that's what our society did for a long time. When I was asked to come onto the board of the Melbourne Jewish Orphans and Children's Aid Society, I was given the job of cleaning out those houses, which was pretty sad because really there was not any more orphans left from Europe. And things had changed. So the Melbourne Jewish Orphan Society began paying for special children. You might remember uh, the headmaster of Mount Scopus College, Dr. Lorch. Dr. Lorch came from America and he brought this program with him of paying for special children. And when I started 25 years ago, there was about 30 children 
Today, as I said, we've got 280 and we could have a lot more, but it's just to do with our funding, that's all. You started with one little small shop in Glen Huntley. Yes, You've now expanded. Expanded, well, you expanded to a much larger store down at 1226 Glen Huntley Road on the corner of Grange Road. I'm sure everyone in the community is familiar with that uh, location. And in recent times, uh, off to 484 Glen Huntley Road, Elstonwick, which is a huge store, quite a large store. I was in retail all my life, and Elstonwick is a large store. You've got a huge, a huge amount of donated merchandise there. Glen Huntley is also, you know, it's a smaller store, but still a, a large size store. Take us through some of the product that you have there that people mm. generously donate. I can't keep up with it. Every time I'm there, it's a hive of activity in the store itself, out the back in the storage area. Take us through the store itself. Well, before I get to that, I will say to you that there is a pop-up shop for Weezo, but basically we are the only Jewish op shop in Melbourne today. So the support we've got out there is quite amazing from the Jewish community and the non-Jewish community. People want to support us because I feel that they know that our money goes in the right direction. I mean, I run it with the help of Jason and I have never, yes, and he's taken quite a big load off me today, but I have never taken or bought had anything from this store unless I pay for it and that's quite rare I would think because in most op shops today people are paid to run because it's a massive massive job we get everything in these shops where we're very very lucky today they've gone to a very famous lady's home who passed away in her late 90s she was a socialite in Melbourne I can't mention her name but the goods that we will be getting all brand. She was a magnificently dressed lady and I am so lucky. I'm friendly with her daughter and her daughter has always said, Rose Lee, because her mother's been sick for a long time and the goods all go to the posh op shop. So we've three cars or truck picking up the goods today because there's so much of it. But we get everything. We get house loads. We get silver, we get a lot of jewellery, we get beautiful clothes, brands. I was just at the back of the shop before and a lady came in and gave me two bags of goods. They're all like a lot of them have got labels on them and they've got new labels as well. They haven't been used. Linen, beautiful cashmere cardigans, things that cost so much money when you go into Myers or David Jones. Not that I'm against retail because I'm all for it, but we are so fortunate. We get wonderful dinner sets. We get beautiful china. We get so much beautiful paintings. We get a lot of artwork, very good furniture. We're very fussy with the furniture we take now because we just don't have the space. Our shops are so full. You know, it's such a wonderful cause and I find people want to support it. If I say to people, I'm terribly sorry, we haven't got room, they say, oh, well, when can we give it to you? And people in our community and the wider community are so generous. 
Terrific. So very generous. Now, you can't run these two shops and this great little charity without the efforts of volunteers. You're always looking for volunteers. If people got a few hours or a day or a few days that pop down to the store, you'll welcome them with open arms. Absolutely. We love volunteers. It's a warm place to work. We've got the back. Is where it's very friendly. We, we welcome you with open arms. And it doesn't matter if you've got an hour to spare. It doesn't matter if you've got two hours to spare. We don't get all that many gentlemen in our shop. I don't know why, because men do make, as we can see with yourselves, make great volunteers. But we don't get that many. We do love volunteers because this is a massive project. It's massive. And we've got to make an enormous amount of money. Last year we paid 650000 for our children. And we've got to make more this year. Yeah, and that is amazing. Now, Rosalie, 650000 I know you have a huge budget. As you said, you're looking after uh, 280 special needs children. COVID-19 has had a huge impact on your business and other charities. People don't realise the impact that COVID has had on charities and it's left a big hole in your bottom line. And every time there is a lockdown, that hurts your bottom line. There's no dollars coming in. By the way, you also accept donations. You accept cash donations. But COVID's had a, a huge impact on your uh, your charity in the last year and a half, has it not? It has. You're quite right. Within the community, it's quite amazing because things are bad and people do need help. People are very generous and we could never have got through the last year without financial donation. The Pratt Foundation seem to come to the party every year and on their back. They're wonderful supporters of ours and I do have anonymous donors, whatever. But it's been massive. I mean, don't forget last year we were closed for, say, five months or more. And our children, what you've got to understand is whether we're open or shut, Special needs children are paid for. You see, whether they're at school or at home, the majority of them have carers. They have integration aids and so we have to pay the money with or without the schools open. So it's a massive project. And, you know, when I started this, you've got to remember, a lot of charities go out to the public and ask for money. I never did that. I rolled my sleeves up with the help of other people. And we've managed to make a lot of money ourselves for this project. The community should really support us because we'd probably be one of the only projects in the whole of Melbourne where we have made our own money. Of course, we rely on the community to give us the goods. We can't do it. This shop is only as good as the items in the shop and the customers that come in and buy. And you've got a loyal following of customers as well. Rosalie, you've got to bring this to a close. People want to volunteer, they should call you on 0438 368 260 or your son Jason, 0402 317 0200. And they can follow you on Facebook. That's true. And thank you to both of you, Morris and George, for being such terrific supporters of the Posh Oak Shop. Thank you so much for that. It means so much. You're both wonderful people, and I so appreciate you, you know, your input and your help. That's much appreciated as well, Rosalie. Rosalie Silverstein, our little Jewish mother, Teresa (laughs) Angel, 
Thank you again for joining us on Lachaim to Life. Keep up your great work. Yasha Koyach to you and the Poshop team. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you. Father has a business, strictly second-hand, everything from toothpicks to a baby grand. Stuff in our apartment came from Father's store, even clothes I'm wearing someone wore before. It's no wonder that I feel abused. Get a thing that ain't been used. I'm wearing second-hand hats, second-hand clothes. That's why they call me second-hand rose. Even our piano in the bar. That's just about it for the third episode of our L'Chaim Summer Series. But before we go, let's hear tomorrow's AJN Australian Jewish News headlines. It's Good News Week. Have you heard the news? What did it say? And now for headlines from tomorrow's Australian Jewish News, the voice of Australia's Jewish community. Time to boycott boycotters. Fee Assessment Board urged. Crisis Responder Rabbis. Presidential Audience for Ariel Friends. Boost for Ethiopian Nurses. Former PMs face off in court. Israel mourns former First Lady and First Mother. Wiesenthal Centre slammed for anti-Semitism list. Golden Glory for Garfield. Doody's dreams dashed. To read more coverage of local, federal and international news, opinion, arts, lifestyle and sport, pick up your copy of the Australian Jewish News from newsagents and supermarkets in southeast of Melbourne or for weekly home delivery Subscribe at subscribe.jewishnews.net.au Have you heard the news? What did it say?
Right, you'll find in about 15 minutes to half an hour a recording of tonight's Lachaim program at 3zzz.com.au. Click on the down arrow in the Listen to a Show square and scroll down to the Jewish group. You'll find it there. If you'd like to check out any of our programs or podcasts from 2021, simply Google Anchor Lachaim to Life Programs and Podcasts or go to the Jewish Life page on the Social Blueprint Jewish Resources website. All the links are there. Please check out the other two programs that make up the Jewish group here at 3 Z: The Hebrew Hour is 3pm on Friday and the Yiddish Hour 11am on Sunday. If you'd like to contact us here at Lachaim, our email is lchaim3zzz at gmail.com. For only $16, please consider becoming a member of the Jewish group here at 3 Z. And for seniors, it's just $11. Again, click on 3zzz .com.au Many thanks again to Team Lachaim, Dr George Banky, the executive producer, Dr Mori Frankel and Jeff Deegan. And please join us again next week for the Lachaim Summer Series. My name is Morris Klein. Lachaim, I'm Yisrael Chai and peace.